I'm so happy. Wow. Hey, Justin, I'm not going to make fun of your thing. I thought it was really good. I don't know why they're being. Thanks. I'm glad you liked my thing that I did. Yeah, I don't know why Griffin and Justin or Griffin and Dad are all alone. Your great solo project. My great solo project. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the the Adventure Zone zone uh, about steeplechase, mainly, I guess. I I don't know. I can't believe we've gone this long without doing one of these. It feels like... um, Well, yeah, it's just been a weird... You know what? Part of it was that that weekly schedule that we had for a while. It was two weeks. And then it was one week again. It's just been a lot to keep. I don't know how people get together to play role playing games on a weekly basis. I thought I was going to die. How do you come up with so many freaking ideas? And it was it was real mazes and monsters. Like I was losing myself in the like it was getting hard to tell what was (laughs) reality. (laughs) At this point, I'm I'm more beef than ma'am. Yes. Uh, But we're taking some of your questions and we're going to try to answer them to the best of our ability. Dad, you've got this. Handy question list in front of you. I do. I do. Uh, let's begin at the beginning. Wait, does everybody have open hearts? Yeah, um, okay, I do now. Yep. Okay, hold on. Good, let me let you. me do that. <laughs> okay. Cool. Ready. Ow. Don't touch it. I find the themed layers to be fascinating, and so I was wondering, Justin, were there any layers you designed that just didn't make the cut, or maybe they transformed and became another layer? Clint, Travis, Griffin, if you had a layer each. What would the theme be? And that's from Jess. Um, the one layer that I know of that we didn't do is, uh, uh, oh, I had a good name for it, but uh, it's Infinitum. Is that what yes. it was? Yes, I believe that's that was what the, it was. The sci-fi. Oh yeah, uh, layer. Um, and that was uh, that was the the layer that we didn't quite get to. I just didn't have a place for it. I don't know. Um, and I was also going for like more uh, more unique i guess settings stuff that we hadn't like done a lot of before one exception there being like ephemera which is sort of a subversion i guess you'd say of fantasy but pastiche but yeah that was the one that i i had thought of that we did not uh one of the ones i thought of that we did not didn't do the sidereal age that was the name of the uh, the faction in that one we didn't really do factions but i thought that was a cool name that is a cool name yeah I think there was also some talk early on about like something with dinosaurs, and we never really got to that either. That kind of became the metamals. Yeah. Like that that idea of like animatronic animals and bringing them into it, that, that kind of became them. I would have uh I would have enjoyed a like Halloween horror nights, Universal Studios Hollywood vibe, mm. a horror themed lair. Um what was the I I really enjoyed that goosebumps uh Oh God! What was the name of the Goosebumps horror theme park, where you would go down an infinite slide and die on it, and then there's a roller coaster you go on and you die on it? I don't know. It sounds close, sounds yeah. scary as hell, though, right? It's really the way scary. I describe it. Yeah. The Scream Park. No, that wasn't it. No, that wasn't I w- it. Either. I would have uh, just done a, a, a layer that's just all one big stunt spectacular. Oh yeah, and, like the entire layer is like the Waterworld and Indiana Jones and other stunt spectaculars that I'm sure exist. I think there was a, I think two. there like, was a uh, Ghostbusters one short lived. I don't, I don't know. I I have found myself realizing I don't know nearly as much about uh, Disney and theme parks 
as I thought I knew uh, doing this season because there's mm. just a sort of infinite array of failures scattered across the the landscape of uh, of, of all sort of theme park creators. Yeah. And I had really thought about. At one point, I thought, man, I hope he does like, I thought, <laughs> like a martial arts movie yeah. from the 70s. Yeah, that'd um, be cool. Because that's good radio right there. Sure. Yeah, um, the kicks and punches, but, yeah. But I mean, with all the, like, wire work and uh, uh, all the stuff that it had. There's a place in Kyoto called Toei uh, Kyoto Studio Park that is what you're describing, but in real really? life, uh, that seems like it'd be incredible. If not, like well outside of our area of expertise, to try and simulate in a in a podcast product. I remember when Steeplechase started. You guys mentioned your characters not being permanent. Did that change as the story progressed? What were your backup characters, if you had any? That's from Jimmy. Can I go first? Yeah, please. Because this was a big part of my gameplay. I I honestly uh, was just kind of struggling with Emmerich um, and. Really early on, once we got into the disconcertingly hard... early, if you happen to be the game yeah. master, of I know, game. yeah, and and so especially when he dug himself in a hole with the judges and all that stuff. Um, that's yeah. kind of like why how I you came phrase up... that, Dad. When Emmerich dug Emmerich. himself into the <laughs> hole, <laughs> well, it just, the story just kind of took it that way. So mm, I, yeah, it's kind of very early on, you, right? Yeah. Very early on, started talking, you know, thinking about a replacement for him, and that's where the idea of Emerald came along, Emmerich and Hardlight. And I mean, I I I know that was a, a a big reveal when we we hit you guys with it, but gosh, that had been percolating for so long. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of times where Justin would say, "No, not yet." Yeah, and and that what happened was I kind of fell in love with Emmerich all over again. Um, Travis, you desperately wanted to die too. Well, yeah. So, uh, what ended up happening was I had this guy who his main function was like punching people and wrestling people and, you know, kind of being the muscle, but we weren't really that what ended up not being like the vibe of our group so much. And it also made me think like he was the one who was kind of, especially after the uh, after his trauma, where he had gone soft. Like he didn't really want to be doing it anymore. He was only doing it to like protect uh, Emmerich and and uh, and oh my god, I've already blanked on everybody. Montrose, thank you. Um, and so I I was ready for him to like uh, basically turn himself in. Uh, to to take the heat off of them, but I think that the thing that ends up happening that and we talk about this, I think every time we do with the the Adventure Zone Zone, I think if this had been a home game, right, that we were just doing for fun, we probably would have swapped out characters constantly, but doing it as like a narrative storytelling gameplay thing as a like for for an audience, the thing is is. We were very, I, I, after talking with Justin about it, we didn't want to just be like, oh, sure, uh, we'll just scrap this character because uh, you want to play it. Like, we wanted it to be narratively, you know, if it came up, it made sense. And he just ended up not getting to that point. Um, but I was ready. I was going to do like an uh, 18 year old, uh, like, uh, kind of spider connected to everybody who had like grown up in the buttercream. 
um, and coming from a long line of like buttercream, you know, baddens uh, called Smudge Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> and he, he did not end up manifesting. I think I might have mentioned him in passing because I wanted him to exist if I ended up needing him. Uh, but it didn't come up. It, like I was re- if it if the moment had ever called for, like they got caught. These ra- roles went so bad. The thing that needs to happen here is someone needs to turn themselves in. Like it would have happened, right? Or if it was like, oh my god, someone has to take a big hit that they're not going to survive. Like it would have happened. Um, it just never came up, and we didn't want to just do it to do it. Ditto. How about you? Nope. I love I loved Montrose. I loved playing him every every second of it. I never ever wanted to switch. Um <laughs> I I yeah, no, I didn't I, I did not want to do that. Um I really, really, really enjoyed that character playing him and being that being that role in a big uh world of crime. Um and I, I wouldn't have changed a thing, man. Conrad said that they love the show. Thank you, Conrad. They love all the content. And Conrad is wondering, do we still play outside of work? I assume you mean like role-playing games and stuff, not like do you do fun things? Do we go play ball in the park? I mean, sure, I throw axes and do duck pin bowling and, you know, all that. But um, no, I, I don't. I don't uh, think any of us do. Well, yeah. So I end up playing a lot of like I guest on people's like one shots or go to conventions and do best work stuff there. Right. It's like all of that gets kind of scratches that itch. Um, I also at this point like I don't really know anyone in town. I have like three friends, uh, any like in Cincinnati that are interested in playing tabletop games, um, and and they all are like theater people whose schedules are so busy we couldn't possibly work it out i look forward to when bb and dot are a little bit older i think that they will be like way into it and we'll be able to do some like gaming together uh but right now it's it's a little too much work uh to be fun i would love to i just don't i mean my life is so not conducive to regularly scheduled recreation uh it's just not i would get so paranoid if i had like a standing D game night or something with with folks here in dc that i would just get interrupted literally every time because you know one of my kids didn't go to sleep or were sick or etc cetera, etc cetera. um which honestly like i don't i think does have the benefit for us of like i'm always pretty excited to to yeah. record Taz yeah. with you guys because I, I really look forward to you know playing games with y'all. So Juice, how about you? Uh nah, I don't really I we do so much sort of like creative work that normally in my free time I if it's just for me, it's not normally a creative exercise just because I like to save save the juice. Yeah. Creativity is finite. If you use it all up, what? You're out of it. Oh no, right, oh, God. Don't yep. tell me that. Sorry, if you look under your right, gone. You're fine. If you look under your right armpit, you'll see a sort of spherical <laughs> meter. That is your creativity. That's what that is. Yes, and you charge it back up by listening to our content. Oh That's my God, mine's right. in negative numbers. Well, can I wow. suggest any of our many great podcasts? I'll have to you. listen to. Yeah, them. check yeah. them out. Um, I'm going to combine two of these because okay. they're they're both similar. Uh, one from Sierra, one from Andrew. Does Griffin still create the background and ambiance music or ambiance music? Of course, Justin is the mastermind behind Dream It to Now, 
But I'm curious about Griffin's approach to working on the soundtrack for your Taz campaigns. And then Andrew asked, what was the inspiration for the theme music oh. for Steeplechase? It puts me in mind of the Punch-Out games as if it was the theme for Beef's arm wrestling game. Can I mention, let me talk Dream It's Now real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that was <laughs> actually uh, Eric Near. You can find him on SoundCloud or Bandcamp. Uh, Lifelong been, friend of the family. Yeah, he's been my friend like my entire life. Uh, my oldest friend, and he is he did the music for the Charlie Verse episodes. He's done some work for Things I Bought at Sheets, and he did Dream It's Now uh, based on just the couple of notes that I sang in the actual show when, I, uh, and mainly it was uh, based on the music that Disney uses at the fireworks shows like uh, Enchantment and the Far Superior uh, Happily Ever After. Um, if you listen, if you go to Spotify and listen to like Happily Ever After, you will 100% get the like the the thematic the thematic illusions because it is it is very much in that vein i also asked eric if you haven't listened to the full version on his band camp you should i asked him to make the lyrics as generic as possible um and uh that that he i think he achieved it brilliantly um most of the music uh on this season was actually sourced by rachel our editor um I, I did a couple of tracks, I think, early on. Uh, I had the realization when we were doing Ethercy, it was right before we had Gus, and I was like, I'm not going to have any time. I'm going to just record like a dozen songs, and then that'll be the music for the season, which I, I did not have time to do for Steeplechase. Uh, and it is so much easier to do that stuff ahead of time than it is to uh, do it like week to week like I used to. Um so uh, yeah, I only I only did a couple of songs, but the theme song I was really proud of. Uh, I did make that. It was very much inspired by uh, Lupin the Third, uh, specifically the theme to the the movie that came out, the animated film, which I don't oh, know yeah. if you guys saw. Absolutely mm -hmm. slaps ass. Oh yeah. Um, which is you know very jazzy, very. Uh, it's a lot of uh, cowboy bebop. Yeah, there's DNA cowboy in there. There's some bit. cowboy bebop DNA in there, and then. Uh, no I, Johnny it, Quest? I really thought no, he was part I think, of that. Oh, I could totally see that. I don't know if that was in Griffin's head. But I, yeah, I no, it wasn't. That. It was not a, a a direct inspiration, but you know that that theme song does whip ass and is always kind of kicking around in there. Um, I really liked. It kind of came together when I I like weird instruments in like jazzy stuff, uh, and so when I I messed around putting the sitar in there, it gave it kind of like a, a bit of a fantasy vibe. Um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, that, that I would love to be able to make more music like that, but it's re it's really far outside of like the type of music that I know and know how to make. And I, it's, it's hard to do like, um, jazzy orchestral stuff in a, a DAW if you don't really know what you're doing, which I don't. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was what, what went into that. Uh, now I, I have a question here from Matthew that I'm also curious about. As uh, like I'm way into world building and the methods people use to do it, um, and Matthew wants to know, Justin, the world of Steeplechase felt really unique and well thought out. Did you have any specific method for world building? And if you did, what did it look like? Oh man, method for world building. Um, I think it's 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 all very like. I mean, a lot, of, it's weird. It's this combination of like background and active creation. So mm -hmm. like background creation 
is a lot of stuff I was doing where I'm just like looking at original sources, like watching, looking through like original print materials, videos from like the 80s and 70s of people at theme parks, um, watching basically all of Defunct Land. It's probably the biggest like inspiration, I think, um, in terms of like the stuff that informed um, the creation of the show. That part is weird because it's like you're just pumping your brain full of junk and seeing what it like does the old rock tumbler bit and seeing if it spits out any gems. And those will cut those came to me like at weird times. I would just be like in the shower, like, oh shit, the barristers, that'd be cool. And I'd go and write it down. Some of it was like I would have one single idea, like ephemera was just I just thought it would be so funny to have a balance theme restaurant mm-hmm. that I kind of did all the other stuff based around it. So I, thought it was, <laughs> I thought it would be so stupid. Um, and you were right. And I was right. And I, uh, I mean, that's the main thing. It was, I, I had text documents on each of the layers where if ideas came to me about those layers, I would pop that text document open and just drop it in there. And honestly, that was sort of an exterior brain for me. I would have it open while we were recording if I needed an idea or needed a concept. I had a, a whole bunch of them there that I could that I could pull from. Um, and that was the more active part. And that was usually closer to recording. The thing about um, world building with Blades in the Dark and the sort of third most important tier of this is that I could not do too much ahead of time. I really couldn't. I couldn't. If I got too firm with my plans, I was sort of going against the main edict of John Harper with Blaze of the Dark, which is just like, give your players agency and let them be the heroes. So a lot of what I was creating is more in terms of like um, an obstacle course, you know, and, and yeah. letting them figure uh, color in a whole lot of those uh, connections and the and the 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 specificity of of the world it's it's very much a collaborative uh thing i well here's a follow-up then okay um from katie i really enjoyed steeplechase the game system and setting were exactly what i didn't realize i needed my question is blades in the dark feels like it is geared toward individual heists rather than a larger narrative was there a challenge as a gm bringing it together for a more cohesive, overarching story. And for everyone else, was there any aspect of the system that challenged you as you were playing? And let me let me tack on a, a part of the question from uh, Jennifer before, because I think that also addresses it. What was it like playing in a game system with the ability to use flashbacks? Mm. Fucking great. Yeah. That was the best part of the whole game. For, that for was me. really the reading about flashbacks is re- really when I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is the system for us. This will be perfect. Um, it, in, mm-hmm. in a way, like it's the the. can I talk about the flashbacks thing? Because yeah, I, please. I, yeah, I, do that first. I think it is the most brilliant part about Blades in the Dark. I think Blades in the Dark has a lot of going for it. I think the way that it handles like action roles is great. I think that uh, the way that it sort of like uh, allows you to manage a crime syndicate as a small business is like really fascinating uh the ability to just make shit up as you go uh through flashbacks is kind of perfect for us uh because all of a sudden like we don't have to go into every job knowing exactly what we're going to do which is basically how we approach every situation on this show regardless of the game that we are playing i did find at times that it was a 
um, like a paralyzing amount of freedom. Like yeah. when you are able to, mm. when you have the the uh, leverage to, you know, through this system, like make almost anything true at any point, uh, as long as it sort of fits the the laws of this world. I would find myself like going large spans of time not doing it because of because there was not like you know it's not like I'm picking stuff off a list. It is it's, like coming up like with an, shit for whole cloth. It's kind of like in Super Friends when Superman would regularly forget some of his powers. Yes, mm-hmm. because it was narratively convenient. Sometimes I'd remember like guys, you can just say whatever the fuck you want, yeah. and they would forget for many episodes. Like, oh, good. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. That's excellent. I, I will say, like, with this system, I love this system, but it takes a little getting used to at the beginning to not do actual, like, planning, right? Yes. Because I think that you want to, like, when you're finding out about the job and everything, like, you want to ask questions, you want to discuss it, you want to be like, oh, we could do this and this and this, but, like, that really goes against the spirit of the game. You're supposed to start, like, in the middle of it and kind of, like, go from there, to make it feel more like what would be in a heist movie or something. And to kind of find the right balance of, well, we do need to know like where we are when it starts or whatever, but we can't coordinate a game plan too much. Like, I think that is a, uh, I think that's maybe where like the learning curve of it is. If you're coming out of other like game systems where you want to have a plan in place that you're executing, Versus you're executing something and building the plan as you go. That that took a while to to kind of lock onto, um, but I think once we did, you're right. It it completely changed the way we played the game because I think, you know, oh, what's the plan? We got to have a plan. But this game is not built that way. Yeah. I think two of the things that we had to really kind of adjust to, that I think I think we well, I ask you if you guys think we did. But I think that once we locked into the the flashbacks, yeah. I think that changed the and remembering that we are bad guys, we're criminals, we're not heroes. Yeah. And yeah. and you know that was one of our stated desires. We didn't want we wanted to play criminals and not necessarily, you know, get, and it's tough to play that, but I think once we got into that, I think we stuck with it pretty well, don't you think? Um, yeah, we're yeah. not really good at being negative, bad people. Like, we are, I think we're good at uh, a little bit of a lovable rogue who's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to steal your money, but I'm going to knock you unconscious and carefully sit you in this chair and put a blanket on your lap so that you get a good night's sleep while you're unconscious, <laughs> right? Like, there are times where I think Beef would be like, I'm going to kill that guy. <laughs> and we're all like, wait, no, don't do that. Don't do this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough if you're if you're putting someone at the center of a story, they are going to be the hero of it almost without fail in in all narrative stuff like they are the one you're following. Right. So their actions have to be somewhat justified because they're the ones moving the the action forward. Um, So it is hard to make someone like they cannot be the antagonist of the story if we're going to follow them. I think it was more like finding opportunities to not. To, to go outside a convention and to not necessarily like follow the rules all the time. Mm. Um, I will say just to your point par- uh, about it seeming more set up for individual heists. Um, that's definitely like a big focus. I will say that part of that is my own, um, the, 
the sort of parts of that game that I did not figure out a good way of incorporating. Yeah. So like in in Blaze of the Dark, there's supposed to be, and we talked about it a couple times, these like this idea of like gang tiers and your layer, L-A-I-R, layer, um, and the territory you control and all this turf because Blaze of the Dark is set up around a specific fictional city. Yeah. And like um, the factions within that city and how they feel about you, how you feel about them, do they work with you, all this stuff. Right. The problem that I ran into was I wanted to keep the story moving geographically from like layer to layer. And I, and we set up pretty early. There's not a lot of crossover. So if you go to Ephemera and piss off a bunch of people in Ephemera, if you go to another layer, it, it's probably not going to have much of an effect. Like, yeah. And that that was what I was up against. So a lot of the, the aspects of that game, I was forced to kind of leave by the roadside because I couldn't figure out ways of of organically using them. I wish in hindsight that I had just skipped them all together instead of making like half-hearted attempts at building a layer and having factions and stuff like that. I will say though that I feel like we captured the spirit of that a lot in like, I don't know, I I enjoyed like having a focus for us being like increasing our foothold in the buttercream and in used to Ben mm-hmm. as like a, the big sort of narrative uh, hook for us like I found that very very cool and a, a like a good carrot to always kind of have in front of our our characters and I felt that like I mean we weren't necessarily doing it concretely but I think by the time we reached you know the last couple episodes it definitely felt like we were more connected to the buttercream and you know the in between layers in that world a lot more and I think we saw that in the uh, final monologue yeah. Of like winking at that and hinting at that, which by the way, uh, Jennifer mentions the closing mon- monologue from Crystal and how it tied a lovely bow. Um, that was, I think, a really well, yada yadaing the praise, like the praise parts. We should not yada yada. I'm saying, no, this is like what I said. Verbatim. The closing monologue from Crystal, especially tied a lovely bow on the themes of this season. And frankly, uh, Autumn did an amazing job. As Crystal was yep. okay, um, and and Slice stepping in um, God, when so Crystal was good. out. Um, yeah, those are our friends, uh, Slice Hicks and Autumn Hicks. Uh, Autumn is 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 a really talented voiceover actor. As is Slice. Slice is an actor as well, but we've known them again. Yeah, twenty years probably. There. Yeah, Justin went to college f- with uh, Slice. And I went to high school with Autumn. And then Slice and Autumn got married because Huntington's not that big of a town. And yeah. um, here we and are. And they probably loved each other. Uh, oh, yeah, that's probably it, I too. will say, we we all, um, <laughs> this is a very quick sidebar before I hear the question. Uh, we all got really into watching, like, Disney videos. Like, the four of us, me and Sid, and, well, mainly me and Slice and Autumn. Sid likes them, too, but... Uh, so there's like a lot of these vloggers doing Disney stuff and they watch them as well. And there's one who's sort of like the, probably the most prominent name, AJ and Autumn had this like killer AJ impression that she would do. And that is like the birth of crystal with a K. Cause I heard that and I was like, Oh shit, that should be like the intro of the thing. Uh, so if you go and watch Disney food blog videos, you will hear like the, the voice print for, for that.
We have an aura frame here at our house, and we primarily use it to show pictures of our kids and the fun stuff that we do. And my favorite thing about it is that it's so easy to upload pictures on that as soon as we get home from doing something fun, we just immediately put the pictures up there so we don't forget to do it. You know, because I, I've tried, we try to do picture frames and stuff in the past, and then we never remember to put them on. But with Aura, it's so easy to load it up that it has become kind of a, a digital scrapbook more than anything else. So if you have been looking to get the pictures that are trapped in your phone and set them free in a way that other people can see them, might I recommend Aura Frames. They're stylish, they're easy to use, you're gonna love it. And it was named the number one digital picture frame by Wirecutter, and for a good reason. It's so easy to set up, and they have different frame options, all kinds. And the best part is it comes with unlimited storage. So right now you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frames with code ADVENTURE. That's A-U-R-A frames.com promo code ADVENTURE. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it's me, the internet's Travis McRoy. Yes, that's right. Powerful influencer, Travis McRoy. You know, people are always asking me, Travis... How did you become such a powerful influencer in the world? Well, I'll let you in on my secret. It's Squarespace. Yes, that's right. Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything. Your products, content you create, or even your time. What? What influencer doesn't do that? I ask you. I'll wait. That's right. None of them. They all do that, and you can do it with Squarespace. Okay, here's uh, just as an aside. You can also use Squarespace even if you're uh, not an influencer, um, and even if the idea of being an influencer uh, makes you throw up a little bit in your mouth, don't worry, Squarespace is still useful. With Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. With Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. Start with the best-in-class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. With Squarespace scheduling, clients can quickly view your availability and book their own reservations, appointments, or classes, and you can sell products on an online store. Whether you sell physical or digital products, Squarespace has the tools for you. So go to squarespace.com adventure for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code ADVENTURE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Chicago. We're coming to you. We're coming for you. We're coming at you. And we're also coming to C2E2. And we're doing live shows. All a bunch of stuff in April. April 24th, we're going to be doing My Brother, My Brother and Me, which is nearly sold out. And Taz, which is selling out fast. So do not wait. April 25th is Taz. April 24th is My Brother, My Brother and Me. April 26th through the 28th, we're doing C2E2. Schedule to be announced. You can get your C2E2 badges now, but you do not need a badge to attend the live shows. Tickets for those shows are on sale at bit.ly slash Tours. All the information is there. Go check it out. Also, we've got a newsletter in case you've been wondering what's the best way to keep up with our new tour dates and announcements and stuff like that, go to bit.ly slash newsletter. And of course, check out all of the merch over at macroymerch.com. A lot of great stuff. Fungalore sticker pack, um, naming of the year poster. Uh, we've got the little Sailor Man pin and 10% of all proceeds this month go to the Foundation for Black Women's Wellness. So go check it out, macroymerch.com. And now back to the show.
I'm Jordan Cruciola, host of Feeling Seen, where we start by asking our guests just one question. What movie character made you feel seen? I knew exactly what it was. Clementine from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joy Wang slash Jobu Tupaki. That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy Flick in the film Election. So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. Oh my gosh, hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using limerick, and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, and brilliant guests who come play him. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave. So try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes. Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Griffin, is Montrose really just a regular Siebel Chase worker who turned to crime? What did he do to get kicked out of his last crime gang? And uh, Justin, was there ever a chance that you would have let Montrose actually be Kinchel's dad? That's from Ginny. I mean, Justin wouldn't get cho- a choice in that. Oh. If I would want to be Kinchel's dad, I'd be Kinchel's dad. That's how role-playing games work, I think. Mm-hmm. Is that it? No. no, that's not right. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, Montrose was a, a regular steeplechase worker who turned to crime. I, I had temptations from time to time to like make Montrose something else, like make Montrose have some sort of like- Give him that Emperor Palpatine's grandson glow up. Some sort of thing like that, right? Because you got a character in a mask, you think like, well, that's an opportunity for some sort of big twist. But the more I- I I got to live with Montrose. Um, the less I wanted to do that, the less I wanted there to be some big gimmick, and instead wanted him to just be an uh, a dude who you know used to glean basically any enjoyment he got out of his life from going to places like Steeplechase who then finds, you know, some sort of emotional connection with the the thrill of crime uh, and realizing that he is very good at that. Um, and so when I played that card in the, in the, I guess, penultimate episode where I told Kinchel I was his dad, I don't think there was actually a part of me that really thought that was going to be true. Uh, I just really, really, really liked the symmetry of of pulling that what was a pretty offhand joke that came out of our first heist uh again at the uh at the midnight hour um yeah and that is exactly why that symmetry is exactly why i would have let it lie if he had wanted to um it would have taken some some work um it's to the weird gray space when you're doing like an actual play story it's like it is collaborative and even if it's not something i could think about unless i had explicitly 
you know, ruled it out, I mean, I'm open to it. I'm open to to any ideas, no matter how they might like complicate stuff. So if he had been very committed to it, especially because he had done it several times before, yeah. I think that you had set the groundwork for it. But it's also like you had also set the groundwork for that being a lie. Like how right. could somebody fall yeah. for it again? I what I loved about Montrose is that it kind it, he like allowed me to correct or just go a different way uh, from this thing that I feel like we all have this temptation to do when we're doing Taz, which is to have some big secret, to have some big mystery from our our character's past that we get to play and have that be like a big bomb that gets dropped. And that's very good. And we've certainly like uh, explored that so much in the past. But I also find myself like, getting um uh, w- wishing that there was more sort of like character development on screen and like character moments that happen mm-hmm. on screen and for montrose like that's what i wanted like i just wanted his story to be in steeplechase and i i really i don't know i really liked his trajectory going from like a aspiring small time a small time uh crook to like someone who becomes very confident in his his ability to uh you know silver tongue his way out of any any situation um, I, so I, yeah I, I avoided that urge at all costs I think that's very interesting because Bryn asked the next one we didn't see uh too much from backstories beyond a few mentions is there anything you wanted to share or anything you would have liked to explore from Bren and I do think that's interesting because I think we all uh, I can't remember if there's like an active discussion we had or just something we ended up doing, or it might be like Justin's. Justin tends to let the development happen for his characters on screen as well, and if there's backstory stuff, it comes up in the moment. And so I think that in Steeplechase, all three of the PCs had backstories, had things in mind, but we didn't like use them to justify. We didn't like plumb them for drama. You know what I mean? Like, I had a whole thing for uh, Beef where basically, and I can't remember how in detail I went when it did come up, but that he had been this, like, uh, you know, all-time great arm wrestler, but he also had a gambling addiction, and it ended up, uh, he would, like, gamble on his own matches, and he he got caught, like, fixing the fight and got, like, blackmailed by this guy, and they all got caught, and he got banned from it for life. And, like, it was this, you know, sordid kind of, like, criminal past in that way that he was now kind of finding a second chance at fame and infamy or whatever in Steeplechase. And it's like, okay, cool. I know that. I know all of that. I know, like, that he is not a big, dumb brute, that he is a smart guy. He just, you know, he people see his size, and he gets treated like he's dumb. And it's fine. That's for me to know and use and play in the character. And uh, we just didn't really shoehorn backstory moments in. you know. But see, I, do, I, do, I would push back against that because I feel like I did talk about Montrose's like weird relationship with park history. Yeah. And it came I up feel like you did talk about beefs, you know, uh, lost fame and talked about Emmerich's, you know, uh, going from being a, a beloved imagineer to what he is now like i i feel like that stuff did come up 
in just in just playing even yeah, if we definitely. didn't like do f- like full on flashback moments of like what what happened in our distant past yeah i think um, that that's it it's not that it didn't come up and it's not that it wasn't there it's more like there wasn't a scene where it's like and beef's old promoter shows up at steeplechase to try to get one more gambling score from or whatever like yeah. we were still playing moving forward you know we weren't like and here's a dream sequence of young emerald or emrick dreaming to be uh, whatever boy that like, got confusing didn't it? i know god bless um, yeah man it was just there in our stories um when it was appropriate to bring it up is there anything you wanted to say about emrick i he didn't really go the way i thought he was going to go i really i i always knew he was going to be kind of odd but i really thought he was going to be the the go-to brain guy Mm. And very obviously, very and very early on, it became apparent that he would be a brain guy, but just more of a theory guy instead of a tech guy. Well, it yeah. has a very Doc Brown kind of feel to it for me. Very, yeah, I think that was I think that was in there too. I um, I had really kind of imagined a cross between uh, Tesla and Vincent Price. Oh, okay. And I and Vincent Price was kind of a constant touchstone for me in mm, yeah. doing the character. Um, but it was just only when I really kind of embraced how odd he was, yeah. how weird he was. And that you guys, we formed kind of a relationship between us all and that was kind of just accepting how weird he was. Well, there yeah. was like this kind of reverence that Beef and Montrose had for Emmerich's like ability that I feel yeah. like had a uh, an interesting dynamic in like us excusing that and just being like, well, that's the cost of of genius, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. It is it's also also Emmerich creates an interesting um, power imbalance, yeah. I think, and I think Blades and Dark is really good about that. Like, if you get right down to it, Beef is good at hitting and Montrose is good at talking, and Emmerich is the Green Lantern. So it's like yeah. it is a little <laughs> bit. Uh, imbalanced in that sense in a way that is narratively effective i think yeah and i think and i think we backed we backed off of it a little bit too the green lantern thing well yeah we limited we we worked with the prism stuff and everything i think that made it more impactful when emrick did do things but i also think dan made a great choice to be like emrick doesn't spend his time healing like he's so he's so uh cerebral that he's not even thinking about like taking care of himself physically. And so yeah. it ended up being like I I Beef was doing a lot of like mother hinning for uh Emmerich of like picking him up from time to time and carrying him places because he would be so injured he couldn't make jumps and he couldn't like get out of situations. There was a lot of like, okay, cool man, but your ankle is shattered and you haven't done anything about it for like two heists. <laughs> So I'll carry you up the stairs, I guess. And like it made it so that Emric wasn't just this like all powerful god of yeah. creation. Um, Dad, you gotta duck out soon. Is there any of these questions that you wanted to hit or well, I to have, say? I I have two. I I I assume you're going to get to one of them. So I'm gonna get to the other one because I have to know. What uh, from Maya, what was everyone's favorite moment of the campaign? And can we get one last Doug Sack solo for the road? Um, I'd um, really rather we didn't. That's, yeah, that's um, so, so bad. Oh, 
I bought this at the beginning of the show. And I thought it would be, I tried to learn how to play it. Because I thought, wouldn't that be cool? Can you play any character? music on it? Can you do no, any song? You know, Hot Cross did, Buns? or What I just did is as far as I got it with the uh, sax monica, this instrument is called. And I thought it would be, it's just the Facebook video that sold it to me said it's real easy to learn. And it's not easy enough, I'll say. So that's <laughs> why and I just kept it within reach because <laughs> it made me laugh one time to do it. Um, my favorite moment was... Um, because I'm a very self-centered person, my favorite moment was when we finally used Emerald, Mm-mm. and the the surprise that I think you guys had an inkling of Montrose and Beef. I think you had an inkling of what was going on, but I I still think that him quote unquote dying was was kind of a surprise for your you. fucking. Thanatos fucking uh, Freudian death drive in role-playing games is as such that when you're like, okay, I throw myself into the goo and die, <laughs> I part of me was just like, well, that's just dad. Yeah, that's dad has been talking about wanting to off Emmerich for a while now, so. So let's just do it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, that that was a surprise for me. I think my favorite, it might, my, my I I I liked so much of it overall. I think my favorite sequence was like the um, the uh, laundry truck chase. Yep, that was, was great. what I was going to say. The entire Gutter City heist, I think. Yeah, was the my Gutter favorite, City heist. But the laundry truck chase was fucking. Great. The moment when that like solidified, like, oh fuck, playing beef is so fun for me, is that scene in the hotel where he comes down and there's like five security guards, and he just like takes them out one by one. Through, yeah, like, yeah. and later dad would describe it as a naked beef, which was not true at all, but like Covered wrestling them in the chocolate, yeah, in the chocolate fountain chocolate. shit. It was yeah. just really fun. And like all the rolls landed, and like he was just knocking dudes unconscious left and right. That's great. Uh, Clint, I know we have to dismiss you so you can go pick up my children from school. Um, yeah. any, any final thoughts? I want dad to tell us about the next season. What? Oh, dad, what's the next season? Well, the next season will be Taz Utra Space. And should I tell what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah, man. We're going to be playing with the new Marvel multiverse role-playing game. And it is going to be sort of a follow-up to our uh, babysitters that uh, were in Journey into Mystery, the War of the Realms uh, in Marvel Comics. Collect and, that. Uh, you can get that as a graphic novel if you want to catch up. Get all five issues novel. collected in one sleek volume. So very excited, and I'm going to GM it. That's going to GM it, and we're going to have special guest Kate Welch and Gabe Hicks joining us um, to play as well. That's going to begin on November 30th. Probably a shorter, shorter season. We're going to have some shorter. It'll be more of a, uh, and then we got more stuff after that. We got so much crap. You know what I mean? We'll no. tell you all about it. You're embarrassed. Uh, goodbye, Dad. I don't even know about all this stuff. Goodbye, guy. Hey, guys, I loved Steeplechase, and I can't wait for us to go back. Thank too. you, Dad. I hope we do soon. Okay. Next up, any other questions? Yeah, I want to know, because, Justin, you for a long time, you were very adamant that you didn't want to do it. That you yeah. were like, I don't want to run a game. Um, and yeah. so we have several questions of people wanting to know. For example, Haley wants to know, what about GMing did you enjoy the most? Oh, um... 
sometimes the pieces would just like kind of click together. I really like that feeling of like the the probably the most satisfying thing is when you can see the end of an arc or a storyline or even a moment and see how it's how it all connects. And it's like a really cool if you've done your homework and you've like done the legwork of trying to create a lot of different vines that you can swing to and uh, different like ideas that you might use or you might not use every once in a while while you're doing it, they just kind of like sync up and give you the answer that is like narratively really cool and compelling. Um, and I think that is probably the thing that I am like most that I, I, I found the most satisfying. Um, Evan, and apparently a lot of other people asked, would you ever consider doing a live show for Steeplechase? I think Steeplechase would work great as a live thing. I agree. Um, yep. I, I think that it's it could be self-contained enough. It's action-oriented. It would be, uh, I think it would be a lot of fun. I think for flashbacks, we should make people stand up and go over and do the scene somewhere else. <laughs> I think yeah, that would be great. That would be cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think it would be, it would work great for a, a live show, and I'd like to see what Griffin would do for his costume, and I'd oh. like to not wear a costume. Then, um, okay, I, I want to ask this one for Nick. And it, it's getting into spoiler territory, so if oh, you didn't finish Steeplechase, really. what is yeah, it? Now we should have said that up front, man. There's yeah. no quarter for you if you want to go behind the scenes before you even saw the curtain call. Come on. Question for Justin: How far ahead did you know that the Nano Father was Carmine Denton? I think you have a particular skill for taking the in-the-moment improvised bits and using them to build stories and characters with real depth and gravity. Was that the case here, or was this reveal planned from the beginning? That's from Nick. I I would take it one step further in that question, Justin. Um, how like Nano Father used? To, I feel like you started doing that voice at the beginning as a joke. Was that huh. something you were like, "This is somebody in the thing" from the beginning, or is it a joke that you did that became somebody? Um, you know, guys, anybody can be a creator and I'm living evidence of that. Um, Na Nano Father, okay. Nano Father started because I was extremely uncomfortable DMing and I felt stupid trying to be like, now let me enter, step into my world, you know? And I felt like so fucking dumb about it. And even though I'd done the work, like I, it still felt very awkward and uncomfortable. So the original like nano father thing was like me trying to tamp down my genuine anxiety and discomfort by making the most like, you know, tail weaver, step into the, the loom, all that shit about like weaving an incredible narrative, right? So having, so that was how that voice kind of got started and it kept going as like a running gag. And I think it's the best thing about doing like a silly role playing game is that sometimes the things aren't jokes. It's like there already. It's there and it it makes sense, right? Eventually I knew um that I so I knew that he was in the world earlier. Uh I knew that he was like real and not just like a goof. I knew that I would bring him out. Um and I knew that he would be in the ruins of old Kidadelphia. I knew that that, cause that's like, I was already talking about the rust storms and stuff like that. Like I knew that he would be there. Um, I don't exactly remember. Sometimes it, when you're making stuff that has this many moving parts, I don't know if this is your guys' experience. I don't necessarily note the moment of like ideation. I, it just, things appear true to me. <laughs> like they just, seem to be it starts to feel like oh that's always been what it was yes yeah. exactly as much of a cop out as that sounds it did kind of feel like oh yeah yeah yeah. he is carmine denton that makes perfect sense 
Uh, speaking of, Sarah wanted to know, please explain what the actual heck was going on with Krista with a K. Her subplot was so deliciously unsettling. I want to know it all. I have a suspicion that that was also like something that as it unfolded, you were like, oh yeah, this makes perfect sense. And not necessarily something, an arc that you had planned from the beginning, but I might be wrong. Crystal was useful at the beginning for bringing you back into the world. And I would obliquely remind you of like some story beats with, with Crystal, reinforcing the the thing. It also, Crystal helped to make the world seem bigger because she was talking about things that we weren't seeing. Um, eventually, so that was like the, 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 the use, I wanted to do the like previously on in a, in a real light lift kind of way. And that was the way that I like kind of backed into it. Eventually, the tone of the show and the things that were happening made it important that we, that we establish like a different tone for the intro because it didn't make sense for her to be all like happy, cheery. And then we're in some pretty dire stuff. Um, so that was part of it. It the started to have a little bit of like, welcome to night Vale kind of feel to me. <laughs> Yeah, of course, I love Night Vale. uh, And that that is definitely like that idea of a voice outside the recording studio that we can't see, I think is a big, is a very Night Vale thing. Um, And I think that's definitely part of it. The other thing is that uh, I didn't want Dentonic to, I needed a way to remind you that Dentonic was bad um, and and had done bad things because I really was not, and and that you were bad, right? Like I, I, I didn't want it to be a. Th- I I didn't want those clear good and evil things uh, to be there, and it was important for Crystal to show this other sided and tonic of like that the company is bad, but also that there are people who love it, and that is that is the sort of thing that I was interested in with Crystal. So, and I also it it's nice, honestly, it's nice to have a character and a storyline that doesn't have to connect or be satisfying or make sense because you're not getting all of it. You're just getting little bits of it. So it can be kind of abstract or just a, a tonal thing rather than a narrative that you're supposed to like follow. I would say along those lines, one of the, it was such a, it's not like narratively important, but I really liked as beef betting on who was going to end up being the CEO of Dentonic. And then, like, getting to influence that, much like Beef got in trouble with before, uh, of, like, I'm going to put it in position where this guy becomes it, and it worked out. And it just made me really happy, Justin. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for letting me win that bet. And I don't think it'll make him rich, but it made me happy. Thank you for that. Um, an anonymous, an, uh, like, or maybe the hacker group Anonymous wants to know, um, can we peek behind the curtain a little bit about the voice of Tron 5000? Do you have a list of show notes, a catalog of accents you worked on? Which was your favorite character to voice in the season? Um, I mean, the voice of Tron 5000 is a real spreadsheet that I got real into my tabs here. <laughs> it is it is compiled heroically uh, by really one of the the, the unsung heroes uh, of the show, uh, and I, I don't remember if it was just Rachel, our editor, has been absolutely an instrumental in making this thing listenable and and good, and has been such a big help to me. Same for Jupiter, oh yeah, who is has gone through and like listened to all the episodes, and he compiled like d- extensive documents with all this stuff, and the also kept my shit straight. 
yeah, the ephemeral lore was created by Jupiter, who I just told him make up the the, <laughs> the most the fantasy worst, bullshit, the worst fantasy bullshit you can. Um, and and he did that with a plum. So Rachel, our editor, actually like pulled together the Voicetron list, and it is broken up into like the different layers. Uh, there are. Roughly, probably 110 voices on here. Um, and they're all, which you don't realize is a thing until you like go through all of it. And it's like, oh shit, I did so many dumb voices. I'm sure a lot of them sound the same. That's really hard, man. That's a really hard job. I did not think about the practical nature of every layer would have a new cast of characters and they all need to sound like something. Well, eventually you just started naming half of them Justin. So I think it was okay. I think you were, you survived. Uh, Justin, naming characters Justin, is inspired by Go Away Green. That's a character, that, there's a color, a specific tone that Disney uses on walls to make it clear that you're not supposed to be looking oh. at it, that it's not part of the show. So when you would get to a Justin McElroy. <laughs> we'd reach the edge of the show. That was the edge of what I had made up. So you had to go do something. Ah, else. okay. Excellent. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Um, Diva was wondering if we would ever uh, release the ephemeral lore doc that Jupiter made. I'll ask Jupiter. I think Jupiter would definitely. I mean, I don't see why not. It's, it's fucking hysterical. Um. <laughs> One last question here, because apparently a lot of people, including Amanda, wanted to know what happened to Shukles. Uh, yeah, Shukles, the cat. Yes, Shukles died in the battle. I died in the battle. No, Shukles was with the kids. Uh, uh, in in Old Philadelphia, um, and so Shukles lived with them until they were rest until all the kids were evacuated. And he went to the, he now lives in uh, Ephemera and he is owned by uh, Dave uh, Ballista oh, and is very happy. That's wonderful. Yeah. I knew about that. Uh, one last thing Didn't I wanted to say. I wanted to say. I was sure there was more to the Woodimals the entire, from. Their introduction, I kept waiting. I don't know if Griffin felt the same way. I was like, when are these motherfuckers gonna move? I was ready for it. I was so I ready. I would've quit the show if they had. I, I was I ready for like that them. jump scare. I didn't like them at all. They're in my, that, was my, that was the worst. I really I, didn't like looking at those guys. I thought about it a lot, but here's what I came up with. That feeling that you had is exactly the feeling that someone who is actually looking at them would have. Yeah. So I like the idea of having these animals that were very creepy and didn't do anything, but you were certain that they were going to do something, but they didn't do anything. They were just unnerving. Creepy as shit. And the fact that they didn't come whole cloth out of your brain, but rather existed in the real world, haunts me to this very day. Sucks. It's also, though, I'll say, like, um, uh, was useful in contrasting the minimals. To make it clear that I'm not just like tossing out sentience like Oprah with car keys. Yeah. Like it it it's a meaningful distinction. 
Um, so that's all the questions. Um, we've got stuff coming up along with uh, Taz Ultra Space. Um, we're going to spend the next few weeks wrapping a bunch of content uh, leading up to Ultra Space. So next week on November 9th, we're dropping all three episodes of Taz Imbalance, which was uh, a YouTube series that we did that was GM'd by Abria Iyengar. Uh, but it's going to be here in the podcast feed, the audio of it. Um, and then on November 16th, we're going into the vault and posting Taz Hootenanny or Hootenan 3 if you will. This is the first time we're uh, going to try to release one of our virtual live shows, so the audio and the energy are a a little bit different, uh, but you're going to love it. I promise. You're going to love it. Uh, And then on November 23rd, you'll get the Hootenanny show that we did in New York Comic Con just a few weeks ago, once again, featuring the amazing Abria Iyengar. Uh, And then on November 30th, we'll premiere Taz Ultra Space. So, Hopefully that's all clear. We're very excited about it. Try to take in a sort of mini series approach with that and and maybe yeah. with the next few things we've talked about sort of exploring more short short form seasons. Mm. Um so intriguing. Yeah. Uh Justin before we wrap up any last thoughts? No, thanks for thanks everybody for going on the ride with me. Um I don't read uh any feedback online. So or take any feedback person. from his brothers or friends or anything either. No, that's not true. Um, the the thing I said was true, but I uh, I really appreciate when people would let me know what they were thinking about it. And when I've heard from some people that they liked it, that was really uh, it made me really uh, happy that people enjoyed it. There's a lot of I was very much the questions that Steeplechase raises and the things that Steeplechase is about is something that I struggle with a lot that I think about a lot this idea of escapism versus reality and the value of that and the value of what we do and uh, all that stuff. So the fact that other people were interested in it was very, was very cool for me. So I, I very much enjoyed uh, doing it. I, I will say this, if you are like me, if you're hesitant or like I was, if you're hesitant about doing something like this and it's good, this is probably good advice for any creative project, but certainly with this, I was thinking about this moment that we're in now when we started and thinking like, well, how the fuck do you come up with all that stuff? Like it it just seemed so big of a job to me. And what it turned out to be was like, you know, eating the elephant or a jet plane. You just start at the wheels or the hooves. Of the elephant? Of the elephant. I think and then it's you, just, you You keep eating it and you eat it for months and eventually it's a whole podcast. Yeah. Yep, that's how you the saying goes. If I did it, you can do it. Um, I'm glad you did it. I think for anybody who plays RPGs, is a good thing to do is to run one just yeah. to see one, learn what. You're... Oh, it will completely change. Yeah, it will very much change the way I play. Yeah. Absolutely. And I thought you did a killer job. I'm really, Thanks, I'm really glad. That really I also great. feel like we have been able to have conversations now, all of us, about GMing. That has. I been... mean, not that. We'll let him in eventually when he does like a long one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He's done short ones, you know what I mean? Like, that's fine. Short ones are different. Hey, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. And until next time. Bye. Bye. Never know when to stop drinking.
Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.